Thank you for joining us for Business Technology News, a weekly program focused on products and services that are changing the way business and consumers use technology. Articles are selected from Wired, CNET, Business Insider, Wall Street Journal, CNBC, Bloomberg, Forbes, New York Times, Washington Post, and many other publications. My name is Michael Amy. This business technology article is posted to Fortune's blog titled Data Sheet. And the title of the article is Tech Hubs Are Abuzz Again. This was posted on February 24th, 2023 by Andrea Guzman, Fortune's tech fellow. And here's the article. All eyes are on the state of once booming tech hubs given the recent flood of tech layoffs and the rise of remote work. Bloomberg declared San Francisco is showing signs of life, while the Wall Street Journal noted the city's real estate market is picking up even with all of the layoffs. Office occupancy trends are important indicators of a city's economic health. San Francisco, with just 45% office occupancy after companies like Slack announced plans to get rid of their headquarters, makes some people think a comeback is far off. But there's some hope for metros like San Francisco as workers look for new opportunities. As my colleague Michael Levram recently reported, laid-off workers are still in high demand, but not by the obvious suspects. Quote, there's another type of organization that's attracting some of the laid-off tech talent, tech companies that don't often make headlines. They're big, but their lower profiles can make it more difficult to compete for talent against buzzier names in social media and fintech. I'm hearing a lot of interest in places like Intuit and Adobe, says Jenna Rich, founder and CEO of Rich Talent Group, an executive recruiting firm, referring to the tax software maker and the company behind tech tools like Photoshop. It's companies like these that are catching the eyes of many freshly laid-off workers like Ashley Davis, who was a recruiting coordinator on contract at Google's Austin office for nearly two years until she was let go as part of her company's recent job cuts. Her layoff came as a surprise. One day, her lead told her she was doing a great job and to keep it up. And the next morning, she couldn't log into her devices and was only notified of the layoff via email later in that afternoon. I won't say it didn't sting, she said. But when I talked to her this week, she was feeling optimistic, and she believed that everything would work out. Davis told me that she had always wanted to work in tech, and her passion started with an internship at LinkedIn before her freshman year at college. Her plan is to stay in Austin, even if it means switching from a high-profile tech firm to a quieter one, or even a startup. It's a trade-off she's willing to make to continue a career in tech and stay in the city she's called home for years. Many others could be on the same track. As Wired noted this week, some of the most well-known one-time startups like WhatsApp, Square, and Slack emerged during a recession. And even in big tech, there are some signs of future hiring. Construction filings earlier this year show Apple intends to build a $240 million development in Austin. And earlier this week, Tesla announced plans to open new engineering headquarters in Palo Alto, California. 
I'm looking at it as just the climate right now, but I know it won't always be that way, Davis said. And I think lots of reorganization is happening. Things are shifting. So there's a lot of companies just like, uh, let's just lay people off. But they still need people to do those jobs, and they're still going to come back, just painted a little differently. If Austin and other cities want to keep their momentum as tech hubs, they will need to retain workers like Davis. After all, tech hubs face increasing competition. Since the pandemic, many smaller cities have attracted legions of techies who have switched to remote work. Smaller cities are also benefiting from the many non-tech companies that are stocking up on tech workers who were once difficult to attract but are now hunting for jobs. Again, the title of that posted to Data Sheet, Tech Hubs are a buzz again. This article is posted to Forbes. Title is Exclusive. Bill Gates on advising OpenAI, Microsoft, and why AI is the hottest topic of 2023. This is written by Alex Conrad, posted on Monday, February 6, 2023. In 2020, Bill Gates left the board of directors of Microsoft, the tech giant he co-founded in 1975, but he still spends about 10% of his time at its Redmond, Washington headquarters, meeting with product teams, he says. A big topic of discussion for those sessions, artificial intelligence and the ways AI can change how we work and how we use Microsoft's software products to do it. In the summer of 2023, Gates met with OpenAI co-founder and president Greg Brockman to review some of the generative AI products coming out of the startup Unicorn, which recently announced a multi-year, multi-billion dollar deepened partnership with Microsoft. You can read more about OpenAI and the race to bring AI to work, including comments from Brockman, CEO Sam Altman, and many other players in the print feature of Forbes magazine. Gates' thoughts on AI shared exclusively with Forbes are coming up right now. The reporter, Alex Conrad, it looks like 2018 was the earliest I saw you talking with excitement about what OpenAI was doing. Is that right, or where does your interest in the company begin? Bill Gates, my interest in AI goes back to my very earliest days of learning about software. The idea of computers seeing, hearing, and writing is the long-term quest of the entire industry. It's always been super interesting to me. And so as these machine learning techniques started to work extremely well, particularly things for speech and image recognition, I've been fascinated by how many more inventions we would need before AI is really intelligent in the sense of passing tests and being able to write fluently. I know Sam Altman well. And I got to know Greg Brockman through OpenAI and some of the other people there, like Ilya Sutskever, Brockman's co-founder and chief scientist. And I was saying to them, hey, you know, I think it doesn't reach an upper bound unless we more explicitly have a knowledge representation and explicit forms of symbolic logic. 
There have been a lot of people raising those questions, not just me, but they were able to convince me that there was significant emergent behavior as you scaled up these large language models, and they did some really innovative stuff with reinforcement learning on top of it. I've stayed in touch with them, and they've been great about demoing their stuff. And now, over time, they're doing some collaboration, particularly with the huge back ends that these skills require. That's really come through their partnership with Microsoft. Reporter, that must be gratifying for you personally that your legacy is helping their legacy. Bill Gates, yeah, it's great for me because I love these types of things. Also, wearing my foundation hat, that is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which Gates talked more about in September, the idea that a math tutor that's available to inner-city students or medical advice that's available to people in Africa who, during their life, generally wouldn't ever get to see a doctor, that's pretty fantastic. You know, we don't have white-collar worker capacity available for lots of worthy causes. I have to say, really, in the last year, the progress in AI has gotten me quite excited. Reporter. Few people have seen as many technological changes or major shifts as close up as you have. How would you compare AI to some of these historic moments in technology history? Bill Gates. I'd say this is right up there. We've got the PC without a graphics interface. Then you have the PC with a graphics interface, which are things like Windows and Mac, and which for me really began as I spent time with Charles Simonier at Xerox PARC. That demo was greatly impactful to me and kind of set an agenda for a lot of what was done in both Microsoft and in the industry thereafter. Then, of course, the Internet takes that to a whole new level. When I was CEO of Microsoft, I wrote the Internet Tidal Wave memo. It's pretty stunning that what I'm seeing in AI just in the last 12 months is every bit as important as the PC. The PC with GUI, that is graphical user interface, or the Internet. As the four most important milestones in digital technology, this ranks up there. And I know OpenAI's work better than others. I'm not saying they're the only ones. In fact, you know, part of what's amazing is that there will be a lot of entrance into this space. But what OpenAI has done is very, very impressive. And they certainly lead in many aspects of AI, which people are seeing through the broad availability of chat GPT. Reporter. How do you see this changing how people work or how they do business? Should they be excited about productivity? Should they be at all concerned about job loss? What should people know about what this will mean for how they work? Bill Gates. Most futurists who've looked at this coming of AI have said that repetitive blue-collar and physical jobs would be the first jobs to be affected by AI, and that's definitely happening. And people shouldn't lower their guard to that. But it's a little more slow than I would have expected. You know, Rodney Brooks, a professor emeritus at MIT and robotics entrepreneur, put out what I would call some overly conservative views of how quickly some of these things would happen. Autonomous driving has particular challenges. 
but factory robotization will still happen in the next five to ten years. But what's surprising is that tasks that involve reading and writing fluency, like summarizing a complex set of documents or writing something in the style of a pre-existing author, the fact that you can do that with these large language models and reinforce them, that fluency is really quite amazing. One of the things I challenged Greg Brockman with early in the summer, hey, can OpenAI's model pass the AP biology tests? And I said, if you show me that, then I will say that it has the ability to represent things in a deeply abstract form. That's more than just statistical things. When I was first programming, we did these random sentence generators where we'd have the syntax of typical English sentences, you know, noun, verb, object. Then we'd have a set of nouns, a set of verbs, and a set of objects, and we'd just randomly pick them. And every once in a while, we would spit out something that was funny or semi-cogent. You'd go, oh my God, that's the monkeys typing on keyboards type of thing. Well, this is a relative of that. Take the AI's ability to take something like an AP test question. When a human reads a biology textbook, what's left over in your mind? We can't really describe that at a neurological level. But in the summer, OpenAI showed me progress that I really was surprised to see. I thought we'd have to invent more explicit knowledge representation. Satya Nadella, Microsoft's CEO, is super nice about getting input from me on technological things, and I spend maybe 10% of my time meeting with Microsoft product groups about their product roadmaps. I enjoy that time. And it also helps me be super up-to-date for the work of the foundation, which is in health, education, and agriculture. And so it was a huge win to give feedback to OpenAI over the summer, too. Now people are seeing most of what I saw. I've seen some things that are somewhat more up-to-date. If you take this progression, the ability to help you write and to help you read is happening now, and it will just get better. And they're not hitting a boundary, nor are their competitors. So, okay, what does that mean in the legal world or in the processing of invoices world or in the medical world? There's been an immense amount of playing around with ChatGPT to try to drive those applications, even things as fundamental as search. ChatGPT is truly imperfect. Nobody suggests it doesn't make mistakes and it's not very intuitive. And then with something like math, it'll just be completely wrong. Before it was trained, its self-confidence in a wrong answer was also mind-blowing. We had to train it to do Sudoku, and it would get it wrong and say, oh, I mistyped. Well, of course you mistyped. What does that mean? You don't have a keyboard, you don't have fingers, but you're mistyping? Wow but that's what the corpus of training text had taught it. Reporter, having spent time with Greg Brockman and Sam Altman, what makes you confident that they are building this AI responsibly and that people should trust them to be good stewards of this technology, especially as we move closer to an AGI? Well, open, uh, this is Bill Gates now. Well, open AI was founded with that in mind. 
They certainly aren't a purely profit-driven organization, though they do want to have the resources to build big, big, big machines to take this stuff forward. And that will cost tens of billions of dollars, eventually, in hardware and training costs. But the near-term issue with AI is a productivity issue. It will make things more productive, and that affects the job market. The long-term issue, which is not yet upon us, is what people worry about, the control issue. What if the humans who are controlling it take it in the wrong direction? If humans lose control, what does that mean? I believe those are valid debates. These guys care about AI safety. They'd be the first to say that they have not solved it. Microsoft also brings a lot of sensibilities about these things as a partner as well. And look, AI is going to be debated. It'll be the hottest topic of 2023, and that's appropriate. It will change the job market somewhat, and it'll make us really wonder, what are the boundaries? For example, it's not anywhere close to doing scientific invention, but given what we're seeing, that's within the realm of possibility five years from now or ten years from now. Reporter, what is your favorite or most fun thing that you've seen these tools create so far? Bill Gates, it's so much fun to play around with these things when you're with a group of friends and you want to write a poem about how much fun something has been. The fact that you can say, okay, write it like Shakespeare, and it does, that creativity has been fun to have. I'm always surprised that even though the reason I have access is for serious purposes, I often turn to ChatGPT just for fun things. And after I recite a poem it wrote, I have to admit that I could not have written that. Again, the title is exclusive, Bill Gates on Advising OpenAI, Microsoft, and Why AI is the Hottest Topic of 2023. This article is posted to Fortune Magazine's Data Sheet blog by David Meyer. It was posted on Monday, February 27th, 2023. The title, Nokia Phones Have a Fresh New Twist. Here's the article. It's been a long time since there was much interesting to say about Nokia smartphones. HMD Global, the Finnish firm that produces Nokia-branded handsets these days, is a big hitter in the world of low-cost feature phones, but it's firmly buried in the other category when it comes to global smartphone shipments. However, HMD, not to be confused with Nokia, the telecommunications equipment manufacturer, just made a couple of smartphone announcements that are worth flagging for how they play in wider trends. The first is about the new Nokia G22, which is a pretty standard affordable Android phone, except for one thing. You can remove the back to replace certain components if they break. HMD has partnered with iFixit for this, and people in Europe and Australia can easily buy replacement screens, batteries, and charge ports for the G22 to install themselves. To a certain extent, this gives sustainability-minded European consumers a cheaper alternative to the Fairphone, which is also designed for easy repairability. 
Fairphone makes way more of its components replaceable. You can even swap out the cameras and loudspeakers in the Dutch firm's devices. But it does seem the idea is spreading. EU lawmakers are pushing for this to become standard practice, by the way, but the European Commission hasn't yet produced the right-to-repair proposal that they've requested. Meanwhile, with security and sustainability benefits in mind, HMD is taking its first steps in a journey to become the first major global smartphone provider to bring manufacturing to Europe. Cool, where in Europe? Well, we're not allowed to say which countries, says Chief Marketing Officer Lars Silberbauer in a slightly frustrating briefing last week. That's for security reasons, apparently. What are the security benefits of onshoring some production from China and India? Again, no details because of security, but a critical part of the manufacturing process will happen in Europe because some of HMD's European customers want to be able to visit these factories and see how it's being produced. HMD already moved its data centers to Finland several years ago to stay in line with EU privacy laws that demand the protection of Europeans' personal data when it's sent across the world. This latest move isn't entirely analogous, Silberbauer told TechCrunch, that HMD saw a growth opportunity for the European market and that existing production sites wouldn't be affected. But it's clear the company sees security and data protection compliance as a differentiator in Europe. The first stage of the manufacturing shift will involve HMD's Chinese partner shipping over components for European assembly, calibration, and testing, including security testing. It remains to be seen whether any of HMD's peers follow suit, but this is certainly the sort of development that Europe's leaders are eager to see in their quest to achieve digital sovereignty, Silberbauer told Reuters, that while we can't discuss specific European subsidies, we collaborate with multiple parties in both the public and private sector in Europe to advocate for European manufacturing and R&D. This is all part of the same overall narrative that we've seen with the U.S. CHIPS Act, which is about to start doling out about $39 billion in manufacturing incentives for local semiconductor production. The EU is poised to follow suit on that front, too. There's suddenly a ton of money sloshing around, and slowly the tech world is starting to fragment. Again, that is titled Nokia Phones Have a Fresh New Twist, posted to Fortune's data sheet by David Meyer on Monday, February 27, 2022. This article is posted to CNBC. The title, In the Three-Way Battle Between YouTube, Reels, and TikTok, Creators Aren't Counting on a Big Payday. This is published on Monday, February 27th, and was written by Zach Valise. Here are the key points. Successful social media video influencers tell CNBC that racking up users on TikTok doesn't make them anywhere near the amount of money they can earn from YouTube long-form video. Still, Alphabet's YouTube is vying for a bigger share of the short-form audience with a new monetization model, but creators say so far it is pennies. 
Meta Platforms Reels is making more of an effort to beat TikTok, too, but its monetization challenges are significant, and creators say that while they can gain many followers, the revenue opportunities are not clear. Here's the story. YouTube is offering a new monetization model for shorts to combat TikTok, but creators who have built businesses on the Alphabet-owned social media platforms say the biggest money opportunity remains in longer videos. Matthew Benedetto, the creator of Unnecessary Inventions, a channel with over 10 million followers across all social media platforms, says he still earns more from YouTube, despite having fewer subscribers compared to his 6 million TikTok followers. Long-term businesses are built on YouTube, Benedetto says. With long-form video, you're able to create a deeper connection with the community. This article goes on. It's free on CNBC, but we have run out of time. We'll have to leave it there. By the way, I capture every single article that I read for this program as an individual MP3 file I can download to you if you'd like to have one that you recall and would like to hear again. Let Audio Information Network of Colorado know about it. They'll get in touch with me, and I'll get it to you. Thank you for joining us today for Business Technology News. My name is Michael Amy. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.